chapter number two, I want us to look for a little while at the, the elements of growth, the elements of growing. And we're going to use this sort of as a, a jumping stage. I'm going to give you three parts to this uh, growth and grace. And I think we need to understand something tonight that we have to get beyond standards to the place of sanctification. That's where God wants us. I believe we ought to have strong biblical standards. I believe we're missing in a lot of Christian homes, we're missing strong biblical standards. But God's purpose for us in growing is not that we maintain a set of standards. His goal for us in growing is to bring us to the place of sanctification after our salvation. In the book of 1 Peter chapter 2, let's begin in verse 1, read three verses and then jump to verse number 7. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envies and evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. Our families in transition ages with our kids, with our grandkids, and we've got uh, Barrett now who is saying sentences and not just words or grunting about things. However, we have Lex who is the youngest and he can't talk and he can't tell you what's wrong. But let me tell you this, he can tell you when he's hungry He's a sumpter, all right. Now notice what that verse 2 says. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. If so be that you've tasted, the Lord is gracious. Verse number 7. Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. Disobedient unto the things that they were appointed to. And again, I want to remind you, God did not appoint us to a set of standards. He appointed us to sanctification. I'm not making light or little of standards. Standards prove out sanctification, but His purpose force is that sanctification. Verse number 9, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in times past were not a people, but are now a people of God which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Understanding that last verse, where in times past you were not a people. They were not a people. They were not unified. There was no unity. There was no organization. And do you remember how they were described? As sheep having no shepherd. Going all sorts of directions as we're looking at the verse. But now they have obtained mercy. I think perhaps all of us have heard the statement that Jesus loves you just as you are, but he loves you so much that he doesn't allow us to stay the way that you are. And that is, there's a, a degree of truth to that. 
But I think we need to understand this. We talked about growth this morning. We're following up on it tonight. God's love for us is unconditional. God loves us whether we grow or whether we don't grow. But with that statement, I want us to be cautious. I want us to be careful. Because he does call us to grow. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse number 3. Now standards that are rooted in biblical principles are certainly a part of how we live in this process of sanctification. Life is a process. Fruitfulness is a process. The other day I had Rim in the truck and he said, Pop, I want to plant something. I said, well, what do you want to plant? And he said, chicken nuggets. <laughs> I said, well, you don't really plant those. And we talked about it for a while. He said, okay, fries. I said, well, you can plant fries, but they don't come up as fries. And we decided to plant sunflowers. And he said, oh, Pop, that would be great. So I want him to learn to sort of do it on his own. And I bought one of those little packs. You know, it has the little disc in it. And you add water and seed and all that kind of thing. So I bought it, took it home the other day. And we added water and his eyes just got, he was so amazed as those things grew. And then you push a seed down in it and you have to keep the water. Well, you know what I'm talking about. And I looked this afternoon. I haven't had a chance to show him just yet, but he, I, let, I made him do the water and I made him push the seeds down in. And that's been maybe three days ago, four days ago. And I looked in today and the seed is in the process of growth. Now we have to understand this, that that seed, first of all, dies. That seed, when it is planted, sheds it outer shell or coat it dies before life can come but i looked in those little pods and i saw several that had something that is getting ready to come up it's going to be life i can't imagine the excitement when he opens that and he begins to see understand tonight life is a process growth is a process there are three three things ingredients that i want us to look at tonight in this process of sanctification that I think God gives us as part of the biblical process. And then time allowing, we're going to go back into the Old Testament and we're going to look at a physical illustration of the life process. But the three ingredients in the process of sanctification, we'll start with this. Number one is gospel motivation. Gospel motivation. Bible truth motivation now let me ask every one of you that are here tonight to answer a question i wish we had time to go around the room and just let you answer before we even go any further what motivates you now i'm not tonight i'm not just talking about motivates you in life what motivates you in your spiritual life what motivates you to do what you do what motivates those of you who are occupied in ministry within the church? What motivates you to teach Sunday school? What motivates you to teach junior church? 
What motivates you to work in the nurseries? What motivates us to sing in the choir? And we could say all sorts of things. Listen, if you're singing in the choir or you're ministering in the music program, you say, I just love music. Listen carefully. Wrong motivation. I teach Sunday school and junior church and I work in the nursery. I just love children. Wrong motivation. I, I just love to work. Wrong motivation. Let me give you what the motivation should be from 2 Corinthians in chapter 5. For the love of Christ constraineth. And there's a lot of things, there's a lot of things in life that I enjoy doing. A lot of things in life that I like to do. There's some things in life that I don't like to do, that I don't enjoy doing. And I find this, love is the greatest motivator. And so what we do in service for the Lord, in commitment to His church and to the body of Christ, Paul said his motivation, for the love of Christ constraineth us. We'll never have the hand of God's blessing on us if we're just doing what we do because we love people. And we love, you say, preacher, are you saying it's wrong to love people? No, I'm not. But the love of Christ should be what constrains us to labor in this life and to grow in this life. Paul says, for the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. You know what he's basically, I'll paraphrase what he's saying. When we come to the conclusion, when we come to the conclusion, if we judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, we come to the conclusion of who we are without Christ. Where would you be without Christ tonight? What would your life be? You know who witnessed to you. You know what brought you to Christ. I don't know what brought every one of you to Christ. You do. You know the process by which God allowed the gospel to be given to you and you were convicted by the Holy Spirit and you responded to what he was saying. What if that had not happened? And so here he's saying we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves. So what he's saying is, we were dead, and we know that the scripture says we were dead in what? Trespasses and sin. And before we were lovely, Christ loved us, and he died for us. So if we were dead in all of those things, in the latter part of this verse, he says, now that we're alive through him, his love ought to constrain us to do what we do because all that live should not henceforth live unto themselves. Paul continues to talk about, I have to die daily to myself. What is the motivating factor? It, it, it is all about, is it, is it, it is about knowing Jesus and being completely compelled by his love. Now, when we do what we do because we're motivated by our love for Christ, then that's giving God the glory, that's giving God the honor, and that's giving God credit 
in this motivating. The gospel motivation. Grace motivates us both to will and to do his good pleasure. Number two. Number one, gospel motivation. Number two, Holy Spirit conviction. We're looking at three ingredients that help us to grow to the place of sanctification. One, gospel motivation. Two, Holy Spirit conviction. We're not left to ourselves to figure this out. I hear so many people say they are confused by God's way and God's will. But understand this, the Holy Spirit of God came to indwell us so we don't have to figure it all out. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is about leading us and directing us and moving us. The Holy Spirit indwells us, it works in our heart, He brings conviction, He shows us where we have been wrong. And there's some things that we can do in that relationship. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Sometimes he does, God does what he does in my life when I read his word. Sometimes it's through preaching. This week I was in a meeting a couple times of preachers who fed me preach to me in my need and sometimes in a moment when I am displeasing to him he will speak to me through the Holy Spirit notice that verse in Ephesians grieve not the Holy Spirit of God you and I understand what it is to grieve to bring sorrow to now when the Holy Spirit convicts we have the option to respond or the scripture also says that we can quench the Holy Spirit in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 19. We grow in grace as we respond to the Holy Spirit's conviction. In a little while, when we look at the physical example, I want you to remember at that moment, this word, it says that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. That's a very important term. Number one gospel motivation that brings us in the process of sanctification. Number two, Holy Spirit conviction. Now there are a lot of people that live by personal conviction, but that's not what we're talking about here. I find this that usually personal conviction is more along the lines of personal preference. But in the sanctification process, it's not my conviction, but it's Holy Spirit conviction. Number three, number three in the ingredients to, we need to have to bring us to that place of sanctification is this, biblical application. Biblical application. I'm concerned about this. I'm concerned for those of us who know scriptures, who have memorized scriptures who have followed exactly what God's Word says in memorizing and knowing Scripture. Let's use a ministry of our church. We'll use the Awana program. Or if you're in an adult Sunday school class, we'll use the, the Scripture memorization for the adults. And young people, children, 
you have every right to ask. I'm going to put moms and dads on the spot now. Young people and children, you have every right to ask your mom and dad if they've memorized their memory verse for Sunday school. Well, kids are supposed to do that. Where do we ever get off thinking that? Where do we ever get off thinking, oh, Bible, Scripture, memorization is for children and young people? We're looking at biblical application in both of these, whether it's adult Sunday school class, whether it's the Iwana program, whether it's a Christian school ministry and Bible class. It makes no difference which degree of ministry that is. This ties into what we talked about in Sunday school a little bit this morning. You can memorize the whole Bible, and if you don't know how to apply it, you have wasted your time. Preacher, you just said, if we memorize Scripture, we're wasting time. You didn't hear everything I said. The Bible is to be memorized. Scripture is to be memorized. I can't do it. Yes, you can, and I could prove it tonight if we wanted to delay the service just a little bit. There are some of you in here as adults tonight that I could start a 40-year-old commercial and you could finish it. There are some of you adults in here tonight that in the talent that only I have, I could begin to sing some of the songs out of the 1950s. You hurt me. A song you haven't heard in years, and suddenly the words come back. Am I the only one, or does somebody say, yeah, preacher, that happens? Do you remember the little old lady from Wendy's? What was it that she said? See, I told you you were here tonight. Now let me ask you this. I heard Rob Ferguson above everybody else. If you ever saw his lunchbox when he came, comes to work, you'd understand a little bit more about that. Rob said, where's the beef? Let me ask you this. When's the last time you heard those words used as a, in a commercial? It's been years. But all I had to say was Wendy's and a little old lady. There are little jingles along the way. Well, I'm too old. I could name medications tonight that the old timers use. And some famous people who the kids look at the TV and say, who is that person? But they tell you about Blue Emu. And you should use it because you won't what? Now, how do you know that? You've heard it. It's been repeated. So listen, don't tell me you can't memorize. But Scripture memorization isn't enough. Gospel motivation, Holy Spirit conviction, and biblical application. You have to apply that which you know. A physical example, there's some of us in here 
who we know a speed limit. Yet you don't apply the speed limit. And it causes difficulty. Not for me personally, not my problem. Now I'll watch and Joe will be on my bumper everywhere I go. <laughs> Listen, the Bible is God's gift to us. And it's given to us for the process of bringing us to sanctification. We need to move first, or rather 2 Timothy chapter 3. And let me, let me go through this verse quickly and we'll get to the Old Testament illustration. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All. Can I tell you this? Don't mess with it. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. He has a purpose in saying it as he said it. Now I want you to notice that there are four parts to this. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now what is doctrine? Doctrine teaches us what is right. And the Bible gives us clear knowledge of the difference of right and wrong. Listen, this world is messed up when it comes to the definition of what's right and wrong. It amazes me. I mentioned it Wednesday night. It amazes me the things that are going on in our world today and things that, and we can point at the secular world, it's happened within Christianity as well. There were things that biblically, through biblical principle, what we understand is that they were wrong, but somehow we're moderating them to now they become right. Why, if something was wrong 20 years ago, how would it become right now? Doctrine. Doctrine teaches us exactly what is right. And that's where we develop our standard system from that grows us to sanctification. Doctrine, teaching us what is right. It's profitable for reproof. That points out where we're wrong. And like to admit it or not, we all are wrong in certain things. So doctrine teaches us what's right. Reproof points out where we're wrong. And then correction. Correction is what? It leads us how to get right. How to get right. Doctrine teaches us right and wrong. Reproof points out our right and wrong. Correction leads us in how to get right. Under correction, you could put it's this, it's, it's discipline. It has been revealed to you right and wrong and you haven't chose right, and so correction comes along. And correction leads us in how to get right. And then finally, notice it gives us instruction in righteousness. In other words, it teaches us how to move forward. It teaches us now, okay, you were wrong. You went against the doctrine which is right. You have been wrong. There's sin. You didn't listen to that, and I had to correct you. And then when the discipline is over and the correction is over, there's instruction. Now, this is how to avoid. 
This is how to stay right. And all of these three things bring us along in this process that we call sanctification. Now, I want us to look at that process. Turn over, if you would, and uh, I want us to look in the book of Jeremiah chapter 18 at a process, and we're looking at, again, the process of growth. This is a familiar passage of Scripture, and we won't spend a tremendous amount of time here tonight, but there are several things that I want to point out about this physical illustration. In Jeremiah chapter 18, come to verse number 2 if you would. God is instructing his servant, says, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. This is a field trip. It's more than me just telling you, I want to show you. It amazes me. Sometimes I'll have difficulties or struggles with my phone. And I ask somebody for help. I've asked multiple people for help. And they say, give it to me. And I give it to them and they, and they hand it back. What have I learned? Nothing. Uh, you know what I've started doing? I don't give them my phone. I said, no, you show me how to do it. So the next time I know. Now here the scripture saying, go down to the potter's house and there I want you to hear my words. I'm going to give you this illustration. Then I went down to the potter's house and behold, wrought, uh, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he had made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. And so he made it again another vessel as seemed good to the potter to make it. I, I want to take that illustration, take that apart just a little bit. And I'm not, I've got another portion of this that we'll come back to at, at, a, at a later date about this process of growth in life. Well, actually, the process of life, there are seven different pieces that science says you determine whether something is living or whether it is dead. Now, with this, I know we're looking at a physical illustration. I think we need to understand this. God has a purpose for every process. And he says to us this in Jeremiah 29, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. And grasp this, to give you, help me out, an expected end. I don't know how all of this ends. I don't know how my life will end. I don't know a month from now, three months from now, six years from now. But God knows the end of it. To give you an expected end. Now the power of the potter that we're seeing in these verses tonight in molding the clay, the clay is in the absolute power of the potter's hand. Romans chapter 9 and verse 21 says, Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel to honor and another to dishonor? I want to, again, we're looking at process tonight. We started in Sunday school. We talked about faithfulness and we talked about a process. We moved forward into the morning service and we talked about 
growth and life. And tonight we're coming back with that. And here's the process of this clay. First in the process is this, the choosing of the clay. The choosing of the clay, the removing of the clay from the river. Understand this tonight, you're one, I am one, and seven, seven billion people. That makes you feel good, right? That makes you feel like you're special, right? No, it makes us feel like we're one in a mob of people. But understand this, the Bible tells us that in this process, the choosing of the clay, and as we read our text verses a few moments ago from 1 Peter chapter 2, it said, ye are this, a chosen generation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 27, it says this, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things that are despised hath God chosen, yea, the things which are not, to bring to naught the things that are. That purpose or reason, no flesh should glory in his presence. You're chosen tonight. I'm chosen tonight. Now, I'm not talking about what people, uh, those that teach chosen in election, but I, I, that, I'm not talking about the, the, the subject of election tonight. But we're chosen for this. We're chosen for a purpose. God has a purpose for each of us who are one in seven billion people. So there is first in this process of Jeremiah, there is first lesson that he learns and he hears, choosing of the clay. The second thing that has to happen is called this, wedging. I don't know how many people we have in here that uh, are potters. I think, Je wasn't Jeff's parents into doing pottery and things like that for a while? I thought so. They called one time and they, they were getting rid of a kiln, I believe it was, uh, that they had used. And so they may know a little bit more. But there's the process first of choosing the clay and then wedging. You know what the wedging is? Is removing the air bubbles. And sometimes the potter will have to take his hand and he will have to press the clay and he has to work the air bubbles out. And sometimes that doesn't get it. Sometimes it's not enough. Some potters have been known to have to take the clay and put it on the floor and step on the clay to get the air out. Why? In a physical realm, in a physical way, potter, the potter knows that if the clay has air, that when he puts it to the fire, that the air will expand. And he knows this. There's something, for the lack of a better term to put it, the peace of art, the piece of work, the vessel that he's making could very easily develop what I would call a wart. And guess what? It becomes worthless. Or that air could continue to expand and that lump could explode. And it leaves a fracture throughout the potter's work. And it's no good. I'm going to tell you as your pastor tonight, there have been times that God has worked the air out of me with his hand. And then there's sometimes that I, as the clay, am a little bit more stubborn. 
And I'll be honest with you, there's sometimes that God's had to put me underfoot to be able to remove. Pride can be a very dangerous thing. I think it's reflective of what the potter goes through. The scripture says this, God resisteth the proud and he giveth grace to the humble. This air. C is this, throwing. Throwing. I've seen this before. The potter's wheel and he will have the clay and he will have wedged it and gotten the air out and prepared it and then he doesn't just lay it on the wheel but he throws it and it hits and it adheres and then as the rotation begins to start it's secure and he can do as he chooses to and to place oneself under the potter's hand becomes a striking figure of surrender to the potter it's part of the process and then it moves to this part of the process that's altering altering it's a technique in which the potter's hands alters the clay, the body of the vessel. He knows what he's trying to make. He knows what he's trying to fashion. Those that have lived around here a long time will remember in days of old when the Williamsburg Pottery Factory was just that. It wasn't just a, a train delivering things from Mexico. They actually had potters there. They had the kiln there. They, and you could sit. I remember as a kid just sitting and watching. I didn't want to do all the shopping. And watching. And, and, and I would see the lump of clay on the wheel and it's turning around. And as the potter would put his hands or her hands to it, they begin to form it. In my mind as a kid, I'm, I'm thinking, I wonder what God wants to make. That's, my, that's what I'm illustrating to you. I wonder what God wants to make when he does that. When those people would put that on the wheel, I think, I wonder what they're going to make. And I'd watch for several minutes and say, I don't, I don't see it. I can't tell what's coming out of there. But with their hands, they continue to alter. And with his hands, God continues to alter us through the process. Sometimes they put their hands on an instrument to use, and they would use knives to cut. And they would put a pattern or design. Jeremiah chapter 18 and verse number 3, the potter had, had to make over this vessel again. Something went wrong. Even when it was in the potter's hand, something went wrong. The next step of the process is called bisking, and that's leaving the vessel out in the sun to dry, and that's a dangerous time for the piece of work. It's a dangerous time for the vessel. It can be, it can be hurt. It is fragile. It can be, and I'm speaking in human term here, it can be easily offended and the sun can damage it and the things of life can hurt it bisking but then and remember what i told you about remembering that word sealed then comes the glazing process and the glazing acts to seal and it'll give the pottery its texture it'll give the pottery its color it'll bring out its brilliance and I remind you of where we were earlier in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13. In whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. And part of our process of growing towards sanctification is our glazing. Because it brings out the vibrance of life. 
It brings out what God has created us to be. It magnifies the purpose that God has for us. And then after the glazing is the process of the firing, put into the furnace. It's hard to imagine, but the furnace gets to over 2,200 degrees. In fact, they say the average is 2,232. But every potter has learned his material. And he knows exactly the heat that he needs to use to finish the process. And for some clay that may have more water to it, or some clay that may be drier, or some clay that may have this or that or the other thing, he knows, the t and let me say this tonight, he knows what you can take. He knows the heat that he can put on that's going to bring the brilliance out of our life, that's going to bring the usefulness. I'll tell you this. One time I thought, I'm going to be a potter. And I, I will be honest with you, I have no artistic ability. And I got a lump of clay. And I made a cup out of it. And I didn't know anything about the glazing. I really didn't know anything about a lot of the process. So I turned the oven on. So now we have a dishwasher with my hubcaps in it. <laughs> and an oven with dirt. And I'm not bragging tonight, but it looked okay. It wasn't a perfect piece, and I tend to do these things when Sonia's not home. So she doesn't go very far anymore. You say, Pastor Miss Sumter always together. Now you, you ought to be picking up on why. <laughs> and I took a pan and I cut the oven up and I had no clue how much heat to use. And I cut it up to, you know, it was hot, probably 500 degrees, I guess. And I put it in and I set the timer. And after a few minutes, I thought, what is that smell? And I walked back over and I said, well, I don't want the heat to escape. So I turned the light on in the oven. And all there was on that pan was a lump of mud. It had destroyed what I had fashioned. Now we got to finish for the Lord's day, but let, let me help us to understand something. Our God is a consuming fire. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 7 says this, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than that of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found into praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Christ. We're getting ready to leave the Lord's house and enter a new work week, and let me say this. The potter knows the heat that's needed to make you and I what he purposes us to be. I know the thoughts that I think to you. Thoughts of peace, not of evil, 
Here's something to praise the Lord for tonight. To give you an expected end. Shh, I know what's going to happen. I know what heat you can take. I know what's going to harden you, and I know what's going to ruin you. And I'll never set the heat to the place that it's going to ruin and waste what I have purposed in you. And all of these things are part of the process. It began at salvation, and he leads us through the process because his goal is our sanctification. And that's a continuing process. That's a daily process. I hope tonight that we'll take some of these truths from God's Word and not just know them, but use them in skill and use them in wisdom and use them to grow. Let's pray together, please. Father, thank you for...